I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Okay, how was that? Super weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, really weird. I talked more than I thought I would. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's rare. Like, how often do you get to just talk about your life? Yeah, apart from to, to, a, to a therapist. Exactly. Thanks. Bill me, bill me later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cried more than I thought I would. I knew I'd cry. I just didn't think I'd cry that much. I'm fully expecting to cry quite a bit. In <laughs> it will be fine. It will be completely even out. I really admire our guests for not like crying more. Oh yeah, like one hundred percent. Like I think that all the time. Like I come away from our chats with guests, and I feel really emotional and quite like tired after yeah. that. Like how must they feel coming and talking about very like personal, difficult stuff? Mm. Yeah, because we do try and be friendly, but at the same time, like sometimes we're just like, all right, tell me about the suicide then. Exactly. Or, yeah, because we have to quiz them about you know heavy stuff. It's not always light and fluffy. Yeah. Has being on the other side given you greater respect? Yeah. I guess not that you didn't respect them before, obviously. Yeah, definitely. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A podcast on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And today we're going to be recording a very special episode. Yep, Uh, it is a different one. Uh, Many of you guys might be new to the podcast and you might not know about us. And when I say us, I mean Yvette Castor and Ellen Scott. Yeah, so we present this every week, but we don't usually talk a huge amount about our own mental health issues. And we thought it might be a nice idea to do that just because uh, we've been doing the podcast quite a while now. Yeah, this will be our 100th episode, I believe. Woo! So it's a nice way to celebrate, to um, inflict our interviewing techniques on each other <laughs> instead of on a guest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we set up the podcast, we basically wanted to just 
talk about mental health in general, also um, help other people who might have mental health issues feel less alone, but also maybe help family members and friends kind of understand a bit about what it's like to have, have mental health issues. So, yeah, let's talk about each other. Yes. So this week we'll be talking to Yvette about bipolar disorder and how she's gone from her first manic episode as a teen to now talking about mental health on the internet and on this podcast. And then if you enjoyed that, next week you can come back and listen to me talk about my many issues and maybe cry. (laughs) (laughs) So for Ellen's, that'll be um, anxiety, OCD and depression. Yep. All the fun stuff. But let's start with the vet. Yvette, welcome to Mentally Yours. Hello, Ellen. <laughs> Obviously, you know the drill here, and I know you. We've yeah. known each other for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of know your basic mental health stuff. I know that you have bipolar disorder. I think you're on medication for it now. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, you know, we've never really had like a deep chat about your mental health issues. No. So let's do that today. Yes. She says. (laughs) Three gritted teeth. Yeah, definitely like completely comfortable, really chill. It's fine. Um, So yeah, so we said that we're going to do two of these episodes. One about me, one about you. Yeah. So this time for the next however long. It's just going to be me asking you questions, Mm -hmm. which I feel like will be weird for you because you're used to asking questions as well. Yeah, it will be very weird for me. I've realised that I'm definitely that kind of person. I think you probably get like that as well. When you become a journalist, you realise that actually a lot of your conversations are you ask questions and you listen quite intently. But then when it flips, like you have an interview or even a date or some some sort of thing where you have to talk a lot about yourself, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, shit. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to say. So this could be interesting, but let's do it anyway. It might be like we learn what we're putting our guests through which is i think that would be good horrible that would be nice. no but that would be nice yeah. that, when we'll be more sympathetic and yeah good okay so first of all how did it start when did you first start you know even being aware of like something being mm. not quite right or even aware of the concept of mental health when did it start for you yeah so for me um looking back now i started getting depressed when i was about 14 and I remember coming home, I remember very clearly coming home after school and just feeling like something was very deeply wrong. I didn't know why I was sad, but I was very sad. And I went through sort of, I guess, a few months of locking myself in the bathroom and just crying, but not knowing why I was crying. Um, I went to my mum quite early on and said that I had this feeling and because she was quite aware of sort of mental health issues and health issues in general, she took me to the doctor and they were very understanding. We sort of talked about the idea of depression, but because I was quite young at that point, she didn't feel like I should be on any kind of medication. Um, and I don't know, it didn't it didn't really, I suppose it did worry me because I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. But at that point, um, it was just depression. I say just depression. Um then I suppose it kind of like through being a teenager, I kind of had a, I feel like it was a normalish being a teenager mm. until I got to, I think it was 18 when I had my first manic episode. And that was the really uh, scary thing for me personally. What was the manic episode? Like what happened? Yeah. So it's quite interesting. <laughs> it's quite, she says, <laughs> looking back at the time, it wasn't interesting at the time. It was just um, quite scary. So I can't, 
fully remember the events kind of that triggered it because I imagine it was like a combination of stress from school um, and also a kind of emotional stress because I know there was a lot of stuff around boys for me at that time. Like I'd got off with some guy and then it hadn't worked out and I'd got really super upset about it. Um, so I remember being at home on my own. My parents had gone out to some concert or event and I don't know, I somehow worked myself up into this frenzy because I was really stressed. And But I think it was mo- more like emotional upset over this guy. Yeah. I remember um, listening to some music super loud, um, which I think was like a Janet Jackson track, which is like classic, where are we, 90s? Anyway, um, and then by the time my parents had got home, I was in a manic episode. So when I say I'd gone into a manic episode, um, my brain had got to a place where I didn't really know what was reality anymore so it's quite interesting because I can I can remember the delusions that I had then Mm. so it was things like uh, I thought I had magical powers Um, it was it was really strange because yeah looking back at it now at a point where I'm obviously um, you know what's the right word sane I guess Um, it's it's quite hard to sort of talk through how my mind got there and Mm. sort of what it was actually going through and also, it's hard to think about the amount of time I was in that place. I'm not actually sure if it was a week or two weeks, um, but I know it was less than a month. I know I had time off school um, because I wasn't, you know, like if you'd asked me at that point, you know, what about school? I would have not known. I mean, I would have known what school was, I think, but I wouldn't have thought anything about going to school because I was in this sort of um, other place in my brain of... Yeah, I guess thinking that I could do spells and doing the spells and just uh, being uh, mad, basically. Were you scared? Not at the time. Mm. Um, That's quite an interesting question because when I was actually in the Manic episode, no, I wasn't scared because I had quite a strong sense of purpose about what I was doing um, and what was weirdly sort of what was happening there. Um, What went like, I got very scared when it sort of stopped because. What happened was uh, I'm doing like a wave motion with my hand, which obviously you can't see because it's a podcast. So I'd gone up really high and I'd got into this uh, manic episode uh, where I was out of touch with reality. But then when it stopped, um, I did come crashing back to reality. I realized that I'd gone mad and going mad had been like basically my biggest fear or one of my biggest fears because, well, I mean, it it is just like something that lots of people are scared of. Um, and I realized what had happened. I realized I wasn't normal anymore. I realized that, you know, I wasn't a normal teenager or that's what I thought at the time. Um, I I felt very alone. I kind of felt like no one else had been through this before. Um, because at that point, this was the nineties. People weren't really talking about mental health. Um, or if they were, I didn't really know who they were. Um, And at that point, then I sort of went, so all that sort of, all those feelings about feeling really bad about what had happened combined with the fact that I was also, um, I also had bipolar disorder uh, led to sort of depression where I then tried to kill myself. Okay, so a lot of stuff to write through there. (laughs) That was very long, wasn't it? Long is good and like it's obviously very complicated. So your parents are out at a concert or whatever mm-hmm. they come back mm-hmm. and you are in a manic episode yeah how do they react what do they do at that point well first of all because i was a teenager they thought i was on drugs 
Of course. So they asked my sister to ask me uh, if I'd taken anything. Yeah. And I remember her asking me that. And um, basically she was convinced that I hadn't because she she knows me very well. We're, we're quite a close family. So she could see that that wasn't something that I'd done. I've never really been into that sort of stuff anyway. Um, so they realized that I hadn't done that. And then, you know, it's interesting. I'm not actually sure what the what their instant thing was, I think. Like for those for those first few weeks when I was in a manic episode, we could have just been a week. Genu- genuinely, I don't know still how long it was. Mm. Um, I assume they went like they called the doctor. Um, a doctor might have come out, but I don't remember. I don't. That's a bit weird, I suppose. I don't actually remember that if that did happen. Um, but they looked after me. They mm. basically they kept me in the house and made sure that I was fine and I was physically fine that I was yeah. eating and stuff and what, that I, also that I wasn't going out and doing anything dangerous because that's something that could happen if you're in a manic episode and you're on your own you know you could believe for instance the obvious one would be you could believe you, you, you could fly and you know you're on your own jump out a window so they basically I suppose were my carers mm-hmm. for that time um, and then I assume what happened is that they were having conversations with the local GP who they had already talked to about me having depression um, when I was a bit younger um, and then eventually I went to when I got to the point where I was a bit more in touch with reality when I was kind of coming down as it were um, a nurse from the local mental health unit the young person's mental health unit um, came out and had a conversation with me because uh, at that point yeah I was really sort of crashing and then we had a conversation about whether I wanted to go to that unit yeah and you said yeah I, I did oh, because okay. at that point um I didn't want to talk to my parents about the fact that I tried to kill myself and that I wanted to kill myself again because I was very clear that I was not happy yeah um it's an understatement and um but I mean thank god I I liked this woman it sounds super, super really superficial because I remember what she was like and her name was Babs and she was really I liked her because she was young yeah and I thought that she was quite pretty and for some reason I thought that we you know like I could talk to her I didn't I didn't think she was amazing I didn't feel like she was my best friend but I wanted to you know I talked to her instead of them and I, I basically told her that I had tried to kill myself yeah um and at that point, she offered me time at this mental health unit. And I didn't want to go in. Um, she was great because I, she didn't say, oh, you have to come in. Like, she didn't have to say, like, you have to stay all the time. Mm. So what I ended up doing, because at this point, I was still doing my A-levels. Jesus. Um, so at this point, I decided that I wanted to uh, go in as a, a day patient for a while, which I did. And again, I can't quite remember how long I did that for. Well, does day, does day patient mean you still come home? Yeah. To sleep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So she she said initially it was do you want to come as a day patient, see what it's like. So yeah. I did that. Um I went into this young person's mental health unit for God, maybe a few months, I guess. So um which yeah, obviously that was interesting. Um and then eventually I went back and I did my A levels and then I went off to uni and it was yeah. So when you were in the young person's mental health unit, is that when they were like, This is what you have this is what's going on <laughs> this is quite interesting because as a lot of other people listening to this might know um doctors and nurses seem to be quite uh reluctant to diagnose you when you're a young person yeah so at that point they didn't 
say you have bipolar disorder. And also, I suppose I can understand why they might not want to, because at that point, looking at my medical history, yes, I'd had a depression of... I'd had an episode of depression. I'd had one manic, manic episode, and then I'd also sort of had depression afterwards. Um, but they didn't want to, at that point, say, you've got bipolar disorder. This is what you'll have for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I guess I can understand that because... I was already sort of really, um, what's the right word, flipping out about the fact that this had all happened anyway. So maybe if they had then given me that label, I might have been even more um, freaked out by it all. Yeah. So what I did have was some quite educational conversations um, with some of the doctors there. Uh, a really great guy, I can't remember his name, but he was he talked me through like the the kind of a, the stuff that I'd been through and like the... Um, I remember him drawing this wave, which is probably why I keep sort of, when I talk about bipolar disorder, I do sort of think about the wave still, how it goes up and down and how for some people it will go up and down and up and down. But for me, it's it does seem to be like a slower thing. So more over like months rather than like yeah. hourly? How well, short can it? For some people, um, it can be really quick. Mm. Um, I'm I'm not exactly sure if it would be hourly, but for for some people I know it can go up up and down really quickly yeah like for me as I've got older it has been more sort of it's it I'm I guess I'm lucky because it tends to be sort of like months and months and months of sort of gradually going up 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 and then down 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 and sort of lots of periods of sort of normality in between but anyway so that was quite useful had that chat with the doctor and the young person's mental health unit I guess it was like felt like a holding area until I basically just got bored of being there. And I was just like, oh, just fuck this. I just want to go and do my A-levels and get to uni now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, so it, did it was you, weird. So did you do that afterwards? Yeah. Went through A-levels, mm-hmm. all fine, university fine? Well, no. I mean, um, A-levels were fine. I got, um, I got grades that I was sort of, I got basically... I wanted to get all A's and I I got like A, B, C. And for me, that was really shit. So at, at that point, I just didn't care. I, I kind of, I don't know. I basically, But I still got into a uni, so it was fine. Um, but yeah. A-levels were fine in that I passed, I guess. Yeah. University was really great and really um, interesting. But yeah, I did also have... Uh, at least one manic episode that I can remember there. So during that time, we it's difficult because obviously this is back when you were a teen. Mm. So it's difficult to kind of go back to that place. But so you come out of the youth mental um, institute, mm-hmm. and do you have a treatment plan, or are the are you taking any medication, or is there anything to help you, or is it kind of like oh you're fixed now, it's fine? Yeah, it was quite interesting actually because when I was there, we did talk about medication. They weren't pushy in terms of medication though, and I was always quite determined that I didn't want it because I was, to be perfectly blunt, I was scared of it. Yeah. Um, I was scared that it would change who I was as a person. I was scared that it would change my personality. I suppose that that's kind of from, you know, the sort of rubbish films you see or just misinformation but anyway I decided that I didn't want it also interestingly enough I made uh, quite a few friends in the young person's mental health unit one of them was this really nice girl who was in there for kind of just severe depression and we chatted about meds and she told me about one that she'd been on which uh, I remember she telling me her telling me that 
um, she'd taken it and she'd kind of lost her memory a little bit. Like she'd do things like she'd go to the fridge and get out the wrong thing. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had that conversation with her and I was just like, no, definitely not at that point. Um, and yeah, they didn't force me into taking any sort of meds. So at that point, no, there was no meds. And also, yeah, when I went back to doing my A-levels and then uni, there was no definite plan, mm. which is interesting. Like, that's funny you asked that yeah. because I suppose that would have been a good idea, wouldn't it? But uh, no, there wasn't. No, but I feel like a lot of times there isn't. Like, they kind of think, okay, we've dealt with this problem now. Mm. Okay, <laughs> like, it should be fine now. Yeah, that is that is one aspect to it. But also, um, I I have always been quite independent. And also, uh, there's, there's kind of a mixture of it. Yeah, absolutely. Them probably sort of thinking, well, you know, you're kind of all right now. Yeah. But also me being like, oh, well, it's finished now. I'm all right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, wanting to be really independent, sort of being um, a young person. Um, wanted to just kind of get on with life, you know, not really think about it, put it behind me, I suppose. Um, but you're right, I, looking back, it might have been wiser to have a sort of plan. Although, you know, to be perfectly honest, if someone had drawn out a plan for me, I might have just completely ignored it yeah. because I just wanted to get out and live, you know. And also, I think at that stage, you don't really want to have that diagnosis. You're not accepting it. Mm. You're like, eh, I, I'm fine. I can just be normal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's definitely that kind of instinct. Yeah. So when did it then get to the point where you were like, actually... I do need help or like yeah. actually I do need something else. Yeah, that's quite an interesting question because I went through uni and like I said, I went through quite a severe period of depression where I had to go home, ended up sleeping for months and months. Um, again, thank God for my parents because my mum was just sort of bringing me food, otherwise I just wouldn't have eaten. Um, but then I went back to uni after that period of depression and because I still wasn't taking meds. Then I went back to uni, had a manic episode, um, but it just sort of passed on its own. And then I sort of somehow managed to still get back to normal because, like I say, it goes up and down for me. So, What was that manic episode like? That was just super random. So I don't really know what triggered it. Um, it might just be the fact that that's the, the way I'm built, that sometimes they happen. Mm. Or it might have been something in terms of stress, although I didn't find my degree massively stressful because um, I was doing an English degree, so it wasn't like hours and hours of slogging away. Um but anyway, yeah, something happened. And in terms of that one, I just, I know I did things like I, that was more dangerous because I was living with housemates and I just went out one night and I ended up, um, like I slept on the street for one night and what else did I do? I don't think there was anything more dangerous than that. That was probably like the most dangerous thing then. So, mm. yeah. Did anyone kind of say, What's wrong? <laughs> like something's... Well, not really, because, I mean, when you're at uni, you know... You're, you do weird you, stuff. You do weird stuff, and, you know, you go on crazy nights out anyway. Like, in terms of my housemates then, they just thought that I'd been out all night partying, because I did that a lot anyway. Yeah. And actually thinking about it, you know, maybe that had triggered it, the fact that I'd just go out lots, and that I love, you know, dancing and whatnot, and I might have just not had enough sleep, because that can not help things. Yeah, for so, sure, it yeah. will trigger things. So then after that, when's the point where it's, okay? Yeah help so for me then that was I think I was probably about 24 so by that point I'd been to uni I then did a postgrad um, course in journalism and then after that I had my first uh, proper journalism job in Maidenhead um, as a reporter and during that time 
I had another manic episode. And after that, I then had quite a serious conversation uh, with um, with a doctor. And we talked about kind of my history of what had happened. He pretty much, you know, drew it all out there for me. We'd, and I just thought, okay, fine. I This is just, <laughs> this is just annoying more than anything now. Like, I can't just let let this inter- like interrupt my life consistently because although it, it hadn't happened loads and loads um there was quite a lot of depression as well which I haven't really gone into but that's just also annoying like I mean yeah. also obviously it's awful and you know I put my sister through things like saying I was going to kill myself to her and stuff and yeah but it's in terms of actually just being very selfish and just wanting to get on with my career and my life and stuff it was just like oh I'm sick of this mm. so at that point um, I decided to go on mood stabilizers, and the thing that made me want to do that is the, um, the doctor was just like, "Well, you know, I've got this thing for my heart, and I'm going to be on them pretty much the rest of my life." But that's just something I've decided, and it makes the quality of my life better. And when he said that, I was just like, "You know, actually, that's that makes sense to me." Yeah. And we've, I was quite lucky in that I think I found the right mood stabilizers straight away. Because although initially I think they made me a bit more tearful and sometimes I do wonder actually if they do make me slightly more emotional on a day-to-day basis, which is weird. Um, on the, in the long term, um, I haven't then had a manic episode since I've been on them. I do still sometimes get episodes of depression, but it hasn't been as bad yeah. as I've had. Um, so yeah, that's helped. Yeah. Have you been on those since yeah so that's quite a long time so that was I think I went on like I said when I was 24 and now I'm 37 I did recently have an interesting conversation with the doctor though because obviously I've been on on them a long time sometimes they can stop being so effective when you've been on them a long time and also the ones that I went on it turns out um you can't be on them if you want to have a baby Mm. but that's fine because I'm not planning to have a baby but um yeah so if you if you did plan on having a baby, would mm. that mean you'd have to come off them? Yeah. Does that scare you? Yeah, yeah, massively. Because there's quite a high chance that just coming off them, even if I did it sort of in a sensible way, tapering it, that would trigger a manic episode in itself. Mm, for sure. Because you've been on them for... A long time. Well over a decade. Yeah. That is part of your life and how you behave. Like, mm. to come off that must be... Like, I would be terrified. That's really yeah. scary. But the thing is, I mean, I suppose I'm quite lucky because I've never been massively maternal. Like, I haven't been one of these um, people that have grown up dying to get married or dying to have lots of kids. So, you know, don't get me wrong, I'd like to meet the one or whatever, but, like, I don't aspire to having a load of kids. Me neither. So, so, <laughs> so I mean, to. yeah, sometimes I do think, oh, God, yeah, I, I do wonder. But, like, yeah... I suppose I'm lucky in that sense, although there are other downsides to them. Like they definitely make me fat, fatter. I I can't blame my weight entirely on the pills, but I definitely do a little bit because they're known to, I think there was a study and I think they make you sort of gain an average of about a stone. Why is that? Is that because they increase appetite or is it just like just a physical? The study that I read, I think they thought it was the appetite thing. Yeah. Um, because I know a lot of mental health medication is linked to weight gain. Yeah. And they don't really take that seriously as a 
side effect it's like no it does have quite an impact on mm. how you feel well it like I said though it has been a lot of just me also being bad because Not when bad. I initially well <laughs> no, but, you. <laughs> no but you know like when I initially went on them the doctor did tell me that they can cause weight gain yeah but he said you know well if you keep on top of it if you eat sensibly and you exercise sensibly then you can manage it but you know uh when I was doing that and eating well and exercising, I did manage to sort of stay maybe not quite as slim as I'd like, but mm. like around, I don't know, like a size 12 or whatever. So that's that would be fine for me. But yeah, then I sort of let it go. and like, ah, yeah. yeah, because it's effort. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a lot of effort. Um, do you feel like these are the, this is the medication you're going to be on forever? Or do you still think of it as a, not short term, because it's been over 10 years, but a thing you'll take and then you'll stop eventually I suppose I just assume I'll be on it forever yeah which is why the conversations that I had more recently about possibly coming off it to sort of have kids or whatever or just switching to another one kind of shocked me I got this letter through the post because because the meds that I'm on they they can cause quite serious birth defects like um, spina bifida Mm. and also learning difficulties in children they take it very seriously now Um, so I got that letter and it sort of, it did really upset me because I suppose I have just relied on them. They're just like a part of my life. What I've ended up doing a lot of the time with my mental health, I've realized is, especially in my 20s, is um, I wouldn't even think about it at all. I'd just literally be like, live my life, take my pills, get on with it. I wouldn't really talk about it. I wouldn't really, you know, because I didn't always find that, um, that therapy was always helpful. Sometimes it is. And through periods of my life, it has been very helpful. But other times, I just want to get on with it. So, and also, weirdly, I was kind of, in my 20s, I was also kind of in denial about it generally. Mm. I would just be like, no one needs to know about this shit. I'll just take my pills and get on with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thinking about the pills longer term, I don't know. If there was, if there's a better one, that would be great. The idea of completely coming off them does scare me quite a lot. Um, but because there's just no way of knowing if I'd go mad again. I mean, and I don't really want that to happen. Yeah, because, no, like, <laughs> why would you? Yeah, it's, I mean, I sort of said this before, but it, it kind of, it would just be really inconvenient more than anything else because mm. I don't want to spend weeks thinking that I have magical powers or believing that, you know, like we said before, like celebrities are following me or that, you know, having massive paranoia or um, but basically having being out of touch with reality. Yeah. Because that can affect your career and stuff. <laughs> it can. No, it can. And it can no, be. it can. Because yeah. like, I've got a friend who has mental health issues and um, he works in journalism and he, I know that he went into the office once when he was quite unwell and he changed the front page to something to do with like aliens invading. No. Thankfully, the editor caught it. Oh, and God. it was all fine and yeah. he's he's great he's really open about his mental health stuff but yeah. that's like my nightmare not having control in my career yeah so, so. also online <laughs> you can just put it up forever <laughs> you know you're right there's no one checking just publish whatever you want it's great yeah no i can see that for sure and like even with changing medication even if a doctor recommended it mm. i imagine that would be like concerning you don't know how you're gonna react yeah I would be quite scared and I suppose 
also at the moment as a single woman, um, well, just as a single person generally, because I'm not living with somebody who could maybe monitor me. Yeah. Um, which, like, I hate the idea of relying on anyone, but... To, to be blunt like if you are going to switch meds like that it would just be useful to have somebody being like just keeping an eye on you yeah. or I suppose like a housemate or something if you're going to they change. recommend that because even when I went on uh, antidepressants they were like can you let someone close to you know that mm-hmm. you're going on it so if you start seeming a bit off mm-hmm. they can call someone I was like why would I be off but yeah. it's yeah they do recommend like you have someone keep an eye I suppose I am quite blessed though because I do have my family they're very close to me with all sods because they've had to be like the people those people yeah all the time like I talked to a doctor recently and she was just like oh yeah this sounds like you have a good support system and I hadn't really thought about it but yeah I guess I do because although I am single I do have my family um they are really up in my business all the time which is probably for just great which is you know for the best really so and I know um my mum definitely can tell if I'm off in terms of depression yeah I don't have to I don't have to have a massive go at her or do anything like she can tell just the the tone of my voice on the phone or whatever so yeah so along with medication have you had therapy are you still in therapy yeah so I'm not in therapy at the moment Mm -hmm. uh I did decide the most recent sort of batch of therapy I had was last year uh, I decided to go private. I think that was roughly about six months of therapy. Um, that was more to do with the fact that I was, I don't know, I was feeling stressed. But also, I wondered if that was playing into my bipolar disorder. And also, um, I was kind of getting concerned about just my eating habits. So that was, it was all just like, I wanted to talk things through. Yeah. Um, that was very useful. She was very nice. It was quite expensive <laughs> because why, private therapy is expensive. Is that why you stopped in the end? No, the reason I stopped is because she basically sort of said, oh, I think we're kind of done. <laughs> Which is, cool. I don't know if that was an insult. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I've had enough of you. No, it was fine. It was because um, we'd talked quite a lot about um, the issues that I sort of went to her for. Mm. And it was quite useful. And I suppose we'd both just sort of got out of it what we needed to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you still use stuff from therapy now? Is it helpful in that way? It was more, the, the kind of therapy that I had, it was more just, um, if I think about it, it was, a lot of it was just venting. Yeah. Um, I think what I'd be more interested in these days would be more CBT based stuff. So you can actually get advice on how to deal with certain situations because I haven't had a huge amount of that. So when we've had guests on and they've talk, talked about kind of things that help them manage their various issues, um, I kind of think, actually, what 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 tricks, whatever, do I know? Because I don't think that everyone, anyone's really sat down with me and sort of gone, you know, when you feel like you're veering towards depression, maybe think about doing this or, you know, that would, I feel like that would be more helpful, like just more practical help. And I haven't really sought that out, but I also haven't been offered it. Do you have techniques that you've kind of come up with on your own? Um, just a really obvious one when I've when I'm sort of feeling generally like things are going down a bit um it's just write a list of things that I know make me happy and then try and do them um and writing the list is easy actually doing them is hard because you know as you I'm sure you know if you have depression and the the more depressed you are the, the less likely you want to do anything let alone things that make you happy and also those things might not make you happy which that then makes you feel even shitter yeah um 
so but that does help because when I'm sort of starting to go down a bit I can just be like oh yeah I like dancing so I can go dancing I like singing so I can you know go sing in a choir so that's quite helpful yeah um in terms of if I feel like I'm going up like if I'm because I did have one period a few years ago where even though I was on uh, my mood stabilizers I was a bit concerned that I might have a manic episode I I sort of felt like I was too stressed and I was kind of going up and I was basically not sleeping enough and writing lots and just it just felt like I was going up too much Mm. um I suppose it's just been a time thing because at that point in my career I just took some time off so I just had a week um of just not working yeah but that's 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 kind of hard to give advice on because that's really only because I'm 37 and I sort of know myself a bit more yeah and because you've learned how your brain works basically which I feel like is a huge a huge thing and that's a huge part of therapy as well Mm. it's just understanding this is what my illness feels like here's how it might come up yeah here's what I can try to do also just listening to my mum because (laughs) uh that which you know when you're younger you really don't want to do at all but uh, my mum's always said to me from a very young age um like your health is the most important thing and you know when you're a teenager that you don't give a shit about that you just want to go out all night you want to have a great time um but actually it's the fact that I've got bipolar disorder that my health is the most important thing Mm. and on a very practical level you know if I haven't taken care of myself I won't be able to work yeah so yeah I do have to prioritize it but it is still a you know almost a daily struggle to just remember to be like that yeah how does bipolar kind of affect you day to day because I think some people imagine okay you're on mood stabilizer so it's fine. That's it. You're fine. <laughs> is, is that the case? No, I don't know. No, not really. I mean, I think that um, if if we go with, back to the wave thing that I like, yeah. I hope people can picture this. I'm sort of saying, so you go ups and downs. So I feel like what the mood stabilizer's done for me has basically sort of cut off the worst highs and lows. Yeah. So when you go down, you're not going as down. Yeah, exactly. And I still go up. So um, day to day, and like I said, I still feel like myself going up and down, but over sort of few months it tends to be yeah so um I might sort of be approaching as be on a certain sort of wave and be feeling like I want to write a lot and do a lot and have lots of ideas um I know day to day um like my old boss uh well not my old boss because that would have been here but the one before one of of my old bosses yeah um he was really great because every day I came up with lots and lots of ideas and I don't know if that's just to do with me or to do with bipolar disorder, but I basically spewed out loads of ideas just because that is how my brain works at certain times, because especially when I'm on an up curve. Um, and he was really great because he was like a filter for me. So I'd be like, oh, email, blah, 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 blah. We should do this, 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 this. And uh, he had been then like, well, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. This is a good idea. And then he just, he wouldn't say anything about the rest because obviously they weren't, <laughs> they were not good ideas. Um, and occasionally it would be like, oh, this one's brilliant. And then we'd work on that. So, um, yeah, day to day when I'm on an up curve, lots of ideas, lots of energy, sort of want to do lots of stuff. When I'm sort of heading down, things are kind of a bit slower. I guess I feel a bit, you know, sadder. Mm. And depression's a weird one still to describe, even though we talked about it a lot on the podcast. Because... Yeah, it's, you know, for me, it does feel like sadness. People sort of say it's just like nothing. But for me, it's just like, 
it's a mixture of sort of sadness and basically just thinking that you're just like the shittest person in the world. Yeah. Um, so I guess slowing, it is like slowing down and, and again, that can be quite hard as a writer because especially if you d- develop these relationships with editors that think, oh yeah, you've got loads of ideas. If you're then on a down curve and then you're just like, I literally can't think of anything and anyway, any ideas that I've come up with, I think are total shit and I don't want to tell you what they are because I really hate them. So it's quite um, challenging in that aspect, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, day to day, it's, um, yeah, I haven't really thought about it day to day. I guess it's quite interesting. I don't, but the thing is, like, this is just my brain. I don't know what anyone else's brain is like. <laughs> yeah, but this is your episode. <laughs> I know. We're talking about your experience yeah. specifically. I don't, like, no, it's I don't know what different. anyone else is sort of like. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Like, I've spoken to lots of people with similar mental illness stuff that I have, and we have mm. completely different patterns and yeah. ways of dealing with things. But like I said, this is your episode. <laughs> so you can talk about yourself. Um, so, okay, so those are how it affects mostly your work. Mm-hmm. What about your personal life? <laughs> like, <laughs> like dating? Oh, like that yeah. That kind of stuff. How okay. does it affect that? And, yeah. uh, and just not just dating, but just non-work things. Yeah. It's not all about being productive. Yeah. etc. <laughs> so in terms of the dating side of things, I've had some really lovely experiences and then I've had some really shit experiences. So, which I guess is probably everyone's experience, mm. whether you have a mental health issue or not. But in terms of kind of playing into bipolar disorder, um, yeah, when I was younger and before I was on meds, um, yeah, I guess I did have sort of, I don't know if I still have it, like a kind of hypersexuality, which um, I like saying that word because it's basically like, I I think like people also call it nymphomania, but I feel like if you say nymphomania, people are just like, oh my God, that's terrifying. I think Um, both are just like sexy i think basically what i'm saying is uh before i was on mood stabilizers i was pretty slutty and, mm. and i mean i'm saying that word with the deepest respect to anybody that chooses to be slutty like um yeah i slept around a lot and um but then when i got to although having said that i didn't actually have sex till i was 19 oh this is all coming out anyway <laughs> so um in terms of my mental health in terms of proper relationships. Yeah. So I had my first real boyfriend when I was 19. Yeah. Which is, yeah, lost my virginity at 19. And he was really amazing because uh, think about the fact that back then I wasn't on meds and I just had these weird experiences where I knew I wanted to kill myself, tried to kill myself, had lost my mind, felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And, you know, I didn't actually talk to him about it much um but we'd got to a place in our relationship where I think we'd been going out a few months so I met this guy at uni we'd be going out a few months and I felt like I should tell him something so I can't actually remember how I put it but I sort of said you know like this these things have happened to me um oh god I'm gonna start crying crying because he was really nice and he just sort of said I still love you it's okay to cry first of all (laughs) yeah I know but you know like even now it's still kind of it just feels really amazing because I suppose from (laughs) from feeling like completely like I couldn't tell anyone because I hadn't told I mean my family knew because they'd seen it but I hadn't told any of my friends um and I certainly hadn't told any other boys so for him to be all right with it was a bit 
kind of it was just amazing yeah but we still split up because you know i was in my 20s and i was an idiot <laughs> that's fine <laughs> also don't worry i'll probably cry when it's my turn to do this. Oh, okay <laughs> it's good fine and i think for the same reasons where it's like you cry when someone's done really something good yeah because you're not used to it or you think you don't deserve it yeah not to get a super like deep on dating yeah but i think a lot of times when you have a mental illness or mental health issues you make unhealthy dating choices and mm. then when you actually meet someone who treats you nicely it's like oh mm-hmm. like i'm not this horrible awful person my depression tells me i am yeah which is nice definitely Always nice um with hypersexuality mm-hmm. did you find that you were maybe going with people who were not good for you <laughs> like not great choices it's interesting thinking about this now because um i genuinely don't know if is the way that I behaved when I was a teenager was because of hypersexuality mm. or if I was just, you know, like a horny teenage girl yeah. who had gone to an all-girls school when she was, like, younger and then all of a sudden then there were boys. So I, I, I can't... I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably a combination of those two things. Cool. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the choices that I made, mm. um, you know, I don't really regret them. And also, you know, I didn't get pregnant or catch anything awful so like it's not like the worst thing in the world but yeah in terms of the kind of guys yeah no they weren't good for me like they didn't respect me but to be honest I don't know that I respected them because we were all just you know fucking about so yeah literally yeah literally um yeah are you open about bipolar disorder when you're dating now it still takes me a while yeah um just because I don't feel like that's something I want to lead with. Yeah, for sure. I, d- I did try it once on Tinder. I thought it would be funny. Um, did you put it in your bio? Yeah. Incredible. I put it in my bio just because I wanted to see how people would react. And uh, I think I had one nice message, but I did also have one guy just being like, pretty much saying, I don't think you should lead with that. And I kind of thought, oh, fuck you. But, <laughs> but at the but same the time, things. I can see why, because really, um, and this is going to sound really awful, but... I think if a guy led with his sort of, I don't know, something that he was kind of, that that was kind of personal like mm-hmm. that, I'm not sure if I'd want to know about it first. Because yeah. the whole point of dating usually is, you know, you, you, you put out your great stuff first, don't you? And then later on, they found out the terrible secrets. Rain um, and I, the cute stuff. And I know that doesn't sound good because um, I don't want to sound like I think bipolar disorder is a terrible secret. But um, I have found it challenging and also people can make assumptions I think if that's the first thing they think about you in all in all kinds of ways you know if that was the first thing that they thought about me they might then think you know if if I was crying rather than thinking that they'd said something fucking stupid that had made me cry they might be like oh well you know she's depressed so (laughs) yeah um yeah no 100% because that from experience, that is what happens. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're not upset because I've been <clears throat> awful. Mm. You're upset because, you know, your mm. brain. It's like, no, you've just been a fucking dick. <laughs> like, mm. That's why I'm upset. Yeah. And also, I think it's completely reasonable to not lead with it. It's the same, like, you're comparing it to your doctor's heart condition. Mm. He wouldn't lead with that. He no. wouldn't be, like, in his bio, heart condition. Like, no. he that's not all he is. And that's not all you are. I'd want to get to know someone fairly well and... Maybe I do leave it too long thinking about it because some of my closest friends, I still don't really talk to them about it. I know they're fine with it. Yeah. 
occasionally I sort of drop it into the conversation just to sort of see what happens. But they test. Yeah, but they just don't really care because we've got to the point now where it's just like our relationship has nothing to do with me having bipolar disorder yeah. any more than, yeah, that doctor's heart condition. Or, you know, if, if a friend was just like, oh, well, I've got asthma or I've got something else. And I know some people don't like people comparing mental health issues to like physical health issues or other health issues but for me personally it mm. makes me feel a lot better just because um I've always had a lot of shame around it and I've always kind of and fear I guess yeah a lot of people find that comparison helpful for mm. sure and it's the same thing it is like asthma someone would respond just go okay cool thanks for telling me but there's it doesn't really affect day to day in terms of other sort of dating stuff that like my bipolar disorder has sort of fucked up um I did have a really nice long-term relationship where I then went into a manic episode and mm-hmm. broke up with him during that time that was that was really hard for me we've, I think we've mentioned it before on the podcast and it still hurts me really to think about that because I suppose he was I probably could have married him you know if we yeah. stayed together but you know it didn't work out have you spoken to him since well yeah I mean what happened there was he knew that something was wrong but Mm -hmm. he you know he didn't really know what was wrong um but then yeah I think maybe a year or so later we did then get back in touch and we'd both just moved on in our lives we'd like we weren't really the same people and subsequently you know he's completely you know got married had kids whatever so yeah I was about to say such a rude word, but I won't. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I was about to say the C word, which I oh, shouldn't okay. say at all. Um, no, I mean, that's the, no, like, but I wouldn't want him to just. That would be awful because no, we we had a we had a lovely relationship, yeah. and I wouldn't want somebody to be just like pining, like waiting for me forever. That'd be exactly. ridiculous. It'd you know? be difficult. And anyway, thinking about it, the relationship that we had was when I was at uni. You know, we we're both quite young. And thinking about it, uh, it was fairly intense, if I'm honest. I think he might have had mental health issues too, which is probably partly why we got on so well, because yeah. we kind of understood the darkness or whatever. Um, yeah, in fact, aspects of it, I do think maybe they wouldn't. Have, it wouldn't have been a healthy thing to stay in from yeah. another point of view. I mean, when I, when I tried to break up with him, he kind of threatened to kill me than himself if I didn't take him back so that's a warning sign yeah just for anyone listening but he didn't mean it sign I don't think you know like he didn't mean it Mm. but anyway it was fairly intense is what I'm saying so I just might be as intense well yeah but But we're both fine now so I think like from this conversation you definitely went I think the classic route of being very well ashamed ashamed of being mentally ill Mm mm-hmm and then now you're co-hosting a mental health podcast. You do a lot of work in mental health. Mm. How have you got to that point? What changed? Yeah, I suppose age, old mm. age is what's happened, Helen. Um, I think it's really cool that, that you have started speaking about mental health, like, because you're younger than I am. And I think it's really cool that you've chosen to do that sort of, because it, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I'd have been able to in my 20s. Um, yeah, but I think so much of that is because the culture's changed. Yeah. Like, when did um, Stephen Fry talk about his mental illness? Like, early, mid-2000s? Yeah. I feel like that changed things massively. It did, and I really am very grateful to Stephen Fry for speaking out in the way that he did, because 
also because he had bipolar disorder and reading the stuff that he's, he's written about it and seeing the stuff on TV, it was just a revelation. I was just like, oh my God, there's somebody successful who also has this mental health issue. And that's the key thing for me. I know it sounds really bad, but a lot of the time people with mental health issues are depicted as people just kind of locked in units or people who have to work kind of very basic jobs but to someone who's kind of achieved what he has but also just happens to have that that was amazing yeah are um, there any other people who have you found inspiring um he's i guess he's my number one yeah um there's also a comedian called paul merton i'm not sure if he's got bipolar disorder or um just general mental health, health issues He's been really, he's really great just because I think, again, it's more of the fact that he's a successful comedian. He's on Have I Got News For You a lot and that kind of stuff. Oh, I think I do know um, him actually. Yeah, so I really like him because he doesn't really lead with it. Like I don't think he talks loads about it, but I know that he has... The, I've read about the fact that he has these issues. So for me, it's more about... Honestly, like I really like celebrities who like you find out they've got these things and they're just like yeah whatever like Demi Lovato I love her oh yeah because you're just because I think she's you know she makes great music and then she's just like oh yeah by the way yeah or you know other celebrities that will sort of just kind of mention it but not put loads about it obviously I like I say obviously you know this I don't know that all the listeners know this but like I really love Mariah Carey because she has this incredible career and then recently there was this one interview and she was just like, yeah, I've got my yeah, disorder. like last year. I loved that. <laughs> Which is, just, oh, wow, okay. Like, yeah. you just made loads of headlines. But yeah. That was brilliant. That I was really that great. Um, but, I mean, in terms of people who write about mental health stuff specifically, um, I found it just inspiring, obviously, listening to the guests that come on. They've mm. been amazing. Um, when I was running the blogs team in Metro... I commissioned a lot from, um, well, I, I don't want to say just normal people, but I guess I'm going to have to, because I don't know how to say that, like, as opposed to, but I suppose what I'm saying is, as opposed to A-listers, yeah. um, I commissioned quite regularly from people who had kind of nine to five day jobs, but also wrote, wrote blogs and articles for me about mental health. And I really loved them, the kind of things they wrote, they, they wrote about and they still write about. Um, so we had Erica on as well, Erica Compton. So mm. she has schizophrenia. I think she's brilliant. Um, just because for me, um, schizophrenia does have a lot of stigma around it. And I think it's incredible that she's writing about it, but also just kind of getting on with her life. And yeah, all the, all the bloggers sort of like that. Hattie, obviously, we know. Yeah, Hattie's obviously great. You. <laughs> Me. I'm a great inspiration. <laughs> yeah, no, but like more normal people. Yeah. So I guess I have the mixture of, um, yeah, people that just kind of get on with their lives day to day and that I kind of know and I've read their normal stuff. And then, yeah, there's the superstars as well, like Mariah, who's had this amazing career. And then it's just like, yeah, by the way. I've got I'm going to say something really, like, corny. Get mm. ready. Oh, God. So those normal people that you're talking about that are brave and writing and talking about those things, mm. you know that you are that person for other people. Oh, God. It's true, though. Make because vomit. It's true, because you've written about bipolar and you've talked about dating as well with bipolar disorder. I remember a few years ago when I joined Metro, I hadn't seen anyone talking about that side of things. And same with the podcast, like, not to toot 
both of our horns, but it's unusual. Like you don't get a lot of people that are speaking openly um, and you are making a difference. I, I think you should congratulate yourself on that. Well, I'm not going to do that because that, right re- that feels really weird. Not um, right now. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be nice. Like, you know, we, we both know we set this up because we wanted people to feel less alone. Yeah. Um, in terms of when I started writing about mental health, I guess it was a mixture of getting a bit older, giving less of a fuck what anyone thought. Yeah. Seriously, though, the first time I wrote an article about having gone mad, um, I thought, well, you know what? I actually don't care. Like, what's the worst that can happen? I sort of, I, still when I hit publish on that article, I felt like maybe people in the office might, like, shun me or mm. look at me differently. But at the same time, I was in my 30s and I I cared less what people thought of me. Yeah. Um. And in terms of the podcast, it's always been for me um, thinking about young people, especially, who might have had that first manic episode or depressive episode or just something gone wrong in terms of their mental health and they just feel alone so oh god (laughs) i knew this would happen i'm loving it (laughs) if anyone's getting emotional and so am i it's very nice oh god but it's good on a on a positive note hmm, how can we end on a positive note i don't know let's go back to me talking about me being a massive slut slut. that'll be better it's always fun (laughs) I think what helps you now and how how are you doing now and how do you feel about the fact that, you know, what we've just talked about is a big journey and you, as I just went on about... <laughs> you used the word journey. It's true. It's, I'm not like an X Factor contestant. It is a, it's <laughs> like a journey. Like you have been through a lot of stuff and you've gone from being, you know, scared and alone and dealing with that and now you're helping other people. How do you feel about that? Like, how are you doing now? Um... I guess, well, all right. Um, honestly, I don't feel like I do enough. Like, this year, um, I'm trying to just get more focused, which I can't blame that on the bipolar disorder. That's just me being un- unorganised. Like, you know, I feel like I want to do a lot more in terms of being focused in terms of my writing, in terms of maybe getting involved with campaigns mm-hmm. and actually doing practical things, like going out there, talking to more people. And, you know, so I'm pleased Um that we're still doing the podcast. I'm very proud that we were obviously shortlisted for the My Media Awards last year. That was that was really great. But honestly, I still feel like I'm doing like one percent of what I should be doing. Like I still feel like I don't know. I don't know if this this is just my personality. I think like mm. I always feel like I'm not really doing enough. So yeah. Have you heard of low self-esteem and imposter syndrome? That <laughs> <laughs> sounds a lot like that. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to do that whole sort of being kinder to yourself thing. Yes. So that was, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll try. I but. think one thing that both of us have maybe learned from this is talking to other people and actually hearing how they're taking care of themselves. It's like, maybe I should do that also. Mm. Like, that could oh, be yeah. quite good. Yeah, some of the guests we've had on have been brilliant. Yeah, really good. In terms of, I suppose, me managing my health, I guess, yeah, it's old age as a 37-year-old. It's, it's working out that sort of, in terms of the health things, actually trying to eat a bit better is helpful. Like doing some, actually getting off my ass and doing some exercise makes me feel mentally healthier. Mm. And I, but I don't do it every day. I don't even do it every fucking week. But, you know, like when I actually do go swimming or go for a walk or a run, that actually does make me personally feel better, um, which is boring, but also 
you know, useful. And, rem- and remembering to take boring. my fucking meds because mm-hmm. honestly, like I say, my life is quite chaotic. I'm not as organized as I should be. Sometimes I forget and that is not the great idea. So, mm. yeah. Always take so meds. So things certainly aren't perfect, but yeah, I guess I'm just sort of trying still. So this is goodbye from mentally If you've been affected by any of the topics we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. We've also got a lovely Facebook group that's called Mentally Yours, if you search for it. We've also got a Twitter account, which is Mentally YRS. Thanks very much to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for our lovely jingles. See you next week. See ya. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.